It's nothing. I mean, I thought it was something, but it, it's, it's, it's really, it's nothing. And she just, she looks nice, you know, um, kind of familiar. She's a friend, that's all. Um, we don't, it's, 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 it's not like, we take the train together. Uh, I mean, she, she has a husband. She knows about my wife. It, it, it's, I mean, I like taking the train. It's easier, um, you know? And uh, I mean, we don't, we haven't, I mean, we've hugged. We hug when we see each other. And it, it, it feels nice, but it's not, you know, I mean, it's not, It's just, she's got these eyes, you know? These, it's like she, she hears me with her eyes and she just, she's so different, you know? The way she walks, the way she carries herself. Um, and we talk <laughs> and I like her. I mean, I like being around her. I like the way she makes me feel. I, I just like talking to her, and that's all. It, uh, <laughs> I mean, we laugh, you know? I mean, the truth is I hardly even know her. I just, I like talking to her. I like thinking about her. We met on a train. It's just... <laughs> funny, funny little story, that's all. Well, that's not all, is it, man? That's not all. It's not just a funny little story. There's something more to that. I want to preach to you tonight a very straightforward, very simple sermon I really am sorry about this. That whoever looks on a woman to lust for her has already committed adultery with her in his heart. In his heart. Jesus is saying this. Look, there's the sin of action that came from the sin of thought, that came from the sin of motivation in our hearts. The trouble spot for us is not just the outside temptation. It is that heart that will continue to bring back to us that which we lust for. As a matter of fact, it is that heart that will manufacture on the outside objects of lust. You know, our problem isn't our environment, isn't all our environment. Our problem is how we get around that environment. Our problem is that what we produce in that environment, our problem is our heart. The devil's not all out there. Somebody once said, you know, I heard the devil talk one time. And his voice sounded a whole lot like mine. There you go. There is this heart problem. Jeremiah 17, 9 says this. You know, the heart is deceitful above all else and desperately wicked. Who can understand it? As a matter of fact, it says in Proverbs chapter 4, verse 23. Watch over your heart with all diligence, for from it flow the springs of life. 
Jesus said the same thing in Matthew 15, 19, when he was saying, you know what? You think it's what goes in you that defiles you? No, it's what comes out of you because that betrays what's in your heart. And he said this, for out of the heart come evil thoughts and murders and adulteries and fornications and thefts and false witnesses and slanders. We are willingly lustful. That's what the Bible is being real upfront with us. Jesus is being real up. We participate in this deal. And that's the problem. We participated to such a degree that we will make up objects that aren't, aren't usually lustful and we'll make them lustful. I mean, I mean think, I think, think for a while about the society and exactly what we've made sexy in this society. Some of it's just dumb. Just dumb. I, I, I uh, uh, spent six hours at the Altamont Mall um, uh, Thursday. Now, I never, I never, I, I'm not a mall guy. Uh, I'm not a shop guy at all. Uh, if I go into a mall to a bookstore, buy my book, go out. But Becky and I uh, got home uh, Thursday uh, from church and still in our church clothes and all that kind of stuff. And, and Joel, our youngest one, has a part-time job at the, in, the, in the middle of the mall at one of those little icy stands, those little snow cone dealies where you shave the ice and you pour the stuff on. And, and uh, he had a big deal that night, big commitment that night. Uh, and he was originally supposed to work, but he got somebody, very, he's very diligent, got somebody to work for him. Well, 10 minutes before he's supposed to go into work, before this other kid was supposed to go into work, and he was supposed to leave for his deal, the kid calls, cancels, can't go into work. So he's standing there, ah, what am I supposed to do? He just, I mean, he's just really panicked. Well, it was weird because Becky and I didn't have anything that night. <laughs> <clears throat> And we'd, ne we'd never worked in an icy stand. I looked at her. We never made snow cones. So we looked at her and said, we'll work for you. And, then, and so he said, wow. So he ran us down there, you know, drove us. Drove us up the, and he, and, he, and he, he showed us how to, you know, do the stuff and how to close down the stand and all that kind of stuff. And he just left. And here we are in a moment. He's kind of looking around. And so... Here we are. Just, I mean, we, she's still got her church dress on. I still got my white shirt on, you know, and we're just doing snow cones for people, you know. <laughs> it, was, it was really kind of fun. You know, it kind of like, cool, you know, it's cooler than the other side of the pillow. We kind of liked it because, because it was just a way to meet people and talk with them, you know. It was funny that for the folks that come up we did, that didn't know us or we didn't know. You know, it was funny to watch what they were thinking. You could just see people thinking. People feel so bad for you. They're thinking, these poor people are pushing 50 and they're doing snow cones in a mall. <laughs> you know, you can, just, you can just feel them, you know. A couple of the kids came up and said, did you just buy this stand? And we said, no, we just work here. You know? <laughs> <laughs> but overall, you know, we had just we had six we had we had six hours just to watch people walk by like they dressed everywhere, and 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 I and, and out of that, I just have a question. I, I really I really have somebody. I need somebody to explain this to me. What is up with the new fad where everybody is prominently displaying their belly button? What is up with this? I mean, I don't get, have you seen, everybody is just, uh, this, this, this. now, look, I'm not mad about it. The body's good. God made the body good, you know. Um, um, I got a belly button, you got a belly button. All God's children got belly buttons, all right? It's okay. It's okay, really. Body's good. It's fallen. 
Some of those belly buttons were more fallen than others were. But, <laughs> but see, what I can't figure out is, is how desperate somebody's got to be to say, I got an idea. Let's try to make the belly button attractive, you know? Now let's, how, how, how desperate do we have to be for a new sex symbol to everybody? Okay, show their butt. What? I mean, what's, that's not sexy to me. You might as well turn your eyelids inside out. I don't understand this. I don't understand it. I mean, what, we do the armpit thing? Look at my armpit. How's that do for? What's that do for? I don't understand this. Who can understand these things? So you, you got to think, boy, we live in a society that's just so, so looking for such objects of lust that they're, they've hit on stuff that aren't. And, and, and they, they just need it that bad. Well, Jesus said, you know, the, some of this stuff is so dumb, but it shows something underneath that's very, very dangerous. And that is that those things that look innocuous really aren't. Those things that look so trivial really aren't. They're, they show something underneath. As a matter of fact, they show a trap. There's a trap in this thing. Read the next couple of verses with me. Because the Greek in these verses is very, very telling. It says, and if your heart, this is verse 29, Matthew 5, 29. And if your right eye makes you stumble, tear it out. What? I mean, is that graphic and gross or what? Tear it out and throw it from you. Throw it from you. Man, it's getting worse. For it is better for you that one of the parts of your body perish than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right hand makes you stumble, cut it off and throw it from you, for it is better for you that one of the parts of your body perish than for your whole body to go to hell. Now, if you read this carefully, you will understand that this is a metaphor. Uh, um, how could your right eye sin and your left eye not? And, and, and if you literally took your right eye and threw it away, you'd still have your left eye, wouldn't you? If you if, how could your right hand do something that your left hand couldn't? And so therefore, Jesus is saying, you've got to prepare for a very painful and radical intervention in something that is very important to you. You've got to be prepared to literally rip something from your life and experience the pain of that in order to maintain something more important. And I'll tell you what that more important part is in a minute, but, but first I want to alert you to the reason why he is, he is kind of applying this, this um, um, shock therapy in words. Because... We don't see what is about to happen to us. He's saying, I, I know you got the body thing down. I know you're smart enough for that. But here's what I don't think you see. I don't think you see the trap of your thought life. I don't, see, I don't think you see the trap of your heart. I really don't. As a matter of fact, he uses a word here that brings back an image. This, this Greek, to stumble. The, the Greek is scandalon. We get the word scandal from it. But the, the, the imagery is very interesting. 
When you were little, did you ever try to trap a bird by, by putting a box up, tilting a box up, and putting a stick on the edge of that box, and, and putting a string on the stick, and you go, put the stick, and you put the string long enough to hide behind a bush, and you go under that box, and you sprinkle breadcrumbs, and you go behind the bush with the string, hoping that there's some bird so dumb, he won't notice the box. Well, I never had great success. But I want you to know that the word that is used here is the Greek for that stick that's about to be yanked out. For anybody so dumb, they'll go for that bait. And Jesus is saying here, the meditations of our hearts and the thoughts of our minds look innocuous, but they are not. They are a trap. And they are a trap from the other side. They look subtle. But what they really are, to switch metaphors, a, a Florida metaphor would be, they are the riptides of your mind. You don't notice them until you are so far out from shore, you're startled and you don't know if you can make it back. That's what the thoughts of others to whom we are attracted can be, will be for us if we are not very vigilant about our thought lives. And what Jesus is saying here is very plain. You can't negotiate this deal. You have to literally rip it out of your life. If you have a problem with materials that cause you lust, you need to burn those things. You need to absolutely get rid, of your, get rid of those things and never avail yourself of those things again. If you have an attraction to someone and that is being entertained in your mind over and over again, don't try to wean yourself from that. Don't try to say you're not going to think about that anymore. You get as far away from that person as you can. Now, it may look as stupid to other people, you doing that is literally ripping out an eye. But I want to tell you that most of these encounters don't happen by chance and they don't happen with strangers. Most of these encounters and most of these danger spots take place with people we know very well. We work with them. We go out with them socially as couples. We, 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 we meet them in some club or, or, or some, some uh, association and they begin to be entertained in our mind. They, they begin to inhabit our thoughts. And Jesus is saying nothing less radical than this. If you have that kind of infatuation with somebody and you work with them, you either quit that job or you fire them. And if it takes it, you move away clear across the country. You get throw it away from you. Get clear away from you. You have to cut off access and you have to cut it off permanently. It takes that radical treatment. You know why? Because you can't negotiate with Satan. He's too subtle. He's too tricky. You have to take command. You have to make a decision. Anytime we try to negotiate, every time we try, well, you know, it's just thoughts. This, we can work this thing out. There's got to be a way. Let's, let's talk intelligently about it. Let's think intelligently about it. Let's think this thing through. There's got to be a way. I'm reminded of the, of the old story of the, 
of the hunter and the bear. You know, and the hunter's got this, just this rifle bearing down on this bear. I mean, just dead to rights. And the bear raises up and says, wait a minute. Why, why do you want to kill me? What did I ever do to you? And the hunter says, well, I, I want a fur coat. And the bear says, well, all I want is a good breakfast. We ought to be able to sit down like two intelligent people and work this thing out, talk it out. And so it seemed reasonable to the hunter, so they sat down. And after a while, there was only one of them left. The bear got up and walked away having his good breakfast. And the hunter had his fur coat. You can't negotiate with Satan. Because even when you get what you want, it's not what you want. You hear me? Even when you get what you want, it's not what you want. Don't fool with this stuff. Don't mess with it. Don't try to reason your way out of it. If it was that kind of trap, you wouldn't be in it in the first place. You've got to have radical intervention. And it's going to hurt. Of course it's going to hurt. Of course it is. Those things are of great comfort to you. Great release, great relief. Of course it's going to hurt. But let me ask you a question. How many of you have been through some very painful medical intervention so that you could spend more time with loving the people that you love? Some of you have been through very serious surgery and you went through tremendous physical pain in order to go through that surgery. Why? Because you wanted a little bit more time, however much more time you could have with the people you love. Some of you have gone through horrible chemotherapy. I mean, nauseated for weeks. I mean, at the point of death and sometimes you wish you were dead, but you still go through it. Why? Because you love those around you enough to want as much time with them as you can possibly have. Well, let me ask you this. How much do you love God? How much is that fellowship worth to you? Do you realize God and sin can't reside together? And every time we are entertaining sinful thoughts, thoughts of attraction towards someone who is not our own, God is not in that. We don't have fellowship with God. That's precisely the terms Jesus puts it in. It's that. It's, it's, it's entertaining that stuff. Or it's getting rid of that stuff so that we don't have to be absent from God. That's exactly what he says. Be cast into hell. You see, we, we can't have fellowship with God in sin. And so you've got to, you've got to, to see what this costs you. And you also can't have fellowship, true fellowship, with the people he's given you. Read, uh, turn with me to Luke chapter 16, just for a second. <clears throat> Luke chapter 16, verses 10 through 12. Many of you have taken the crown course, have read these verses. These are some of Howard's favorites. And, uh, but, and we always use these confined to the, the arena of money. But I want to tell you that the scripture is so rich and so deep that this also applies to our thought lives. Read it with me. Verse 10. He who is faithful in a very little thing is faithful also in much. And he who is unrighteous 
<clears throat> now, the word righteousness, if you do a word study in all the Bible, you take all the instances of that word and how it was used, you can come up with a general definition. And the general definition will be this. Righteousness is meeting the demands of a relationship, whether with God or with other people. That's what righteousness is. That's how it's used in the Bible. And so it says, and he who is unrighteous in a very little thing. That is, not meeting the demands, even in the smallest, even in the little things, the little thought life, is unrighteous also in much. If therefore you have not been faithful in the use of unrighteous mammon. Now I want you just for a second to substitute the word thoughts for mammon or money. Substitute the words thoughts. If therefore you have not been faithful in the use of unrighteous thoughts, who will entrust the true riches to you? Who will give you the kind of thoughts you really want? How many in here want to know and experience the meaning of life? How many want to know your purpose? How many want, want to know what it is to love deeply and highly and richly and to be wise in all scriptural things? Do you think you will ever have those thoughts if you occupy your minds with lesser things like, like lustful or gratifying thoughts of things you shouldn't be thinking about? Absolutely not. Because you're giving your energy to the wrong thing. Read one more verse with me. And if you have not been faithful in the use of that which is another's... Now, if you, if you stop to think here, and you're not thinking about money, but you're thinking about people... If you're, if you're somehow attaching yourself to someone God has not given you in your family, that's not, your, that's not yours. And if you're not faithful in your relationship with that person, look what it says, who will give you that which is your own? How many people in here would, would love to have a marriage that is so rich and so profound and so intimate that the longer you stay together, the better it gets? But you don't have that right now. And so you think, well, because I don't have that, I'll just go over here and have these little thought life fantasies. I'll just have this little thing over here. The Bible says because you've got that thing over there, you'll never get this thing over here. Why? Because your energy's going over there. Your time's going over there. Your attention's going over there. And therefore, God will never give you what you want. Not because he doesn't want you to have it but because he ain't got your attention and, and they don't have your attention, you see? So this is painful, but you can see the purpose of it. And I want to tell you something. There's a good kind of pain. There's a good kind of pain. There's a pain that tells you you're on the right track. I, I, and I also want to tell you this. You never come to the place where you can be confident that what was once a temptation is no longer a temptation. That's not what victory in Christ means, by the way. Victory in Christ means you're trusting Christ, and when you trust Christ, He'll give you real victory over real temptations. And we all have these. No temptation has overtaken you, but such as is common to man, 1 Corinthians 10, 13 says. We all have these. But God will give you victory. But, watch this, don't ever think... That, okay, I haven't thought about this for six months, and so now I'm safe. I've been out of this for two years, so now I'm safe. No, a weak spot is always a weak spot. Always a weak spot. Don't be fooled. I, I read this week uh, that uh, uh, Dr. James Clegg in California, who's a microbiologist, does uh, experiments, experiments with brine fish, or brine shrimp, I'm sorry, brine shrimp. And, and, and 
And what he's done after years of experience is, is he can take away from these brine shrimp everything they need for life. All, all of the substances that are vital for life uh, in them, including oxygen. And they will look like they're just dead or nodorna. They will cease all processes of metabolism. And of course, in biology, metabolism is the definition of life. And he can subtract those substances, that environment from them for years. And years and years later, he can reintroduce those to them and 60% of them will come back to life. And watch this, live as long as other brine shrimp who had never ceased functioning. I want to tell you your temptations are the same thing. You may think they're dead, but they can come back to life and live as long and be as strong as if they never were interrupted. And so therefore, we have to have a very radical kind of intervention. And again, I know it hurts, but there's a good kind of longing. You know that? There really is. There's a kind of longing that says, I'm on the right track. As a matter of fact, we... We, there's a song that, that somebody brought up this week that has just a perfect picture of this. Listen. Right here you see One of the good guys one of the nice ones with sensible drives. What else could I be? I'm one of the good guys who plays with their children and dote on and pamper their wives. But there was a night in Hawaii on a business trip that my mind has suffused with a mystic glow. She was someone's friend and she had this smile. We were on a beach and we walked a while and I watched the wind billow in her hair and I knew we knew there was more to share. I could feel the ground start to go, like volcanoes starting to blow. And the waves were loud, we were all alone. We had left the crowd, not a soul would ever have known. But I stopped and said, no. Cause that isn't me I'm one of the good guys One of the smart ones Whose virtue survives Firm as a tree One of the good guys Who trades a flash of heat To build a warmer fire denies himself a treat to shoot for something higher 
And that's the part that's sweet That only the good guys know That's not the end. As you've expected, time flips some pages. I'm now 44. There's money to spend. The kids are in college. My wife's back in art school. We just bought a house at the shore. And sometimes at night, in the stillness, lying wide awake, as the wife I still desire sleeps by my side, I can feel the wash of the perfumed air, and my mind is drowning in billowing hair. And although I know that my life is blessed, I am teased by thoughts that it's second best And the visions seethe in my head Of the lives that I could have led They are all still there, I can change my fate There's no time to spare, I must find them before it's too late Then I wake and say No Oh, well, why defend all of us good guys strangling in plenty, yet whining for more? Truth is, my friends, just between good guys, it's not which road you take. Which life you pick to live in, whichever choice you make, the longing is a given, and that's what brings the ache that only the good. There is a pain, there is an ache, there is a longing that says you're on the right track. There is a price that is worth the pain. In Colossians chapter 3 verse 5, there's a very radical demand. It says, therefore, consider the members of your earthly body as dead. The Greek says, put to death the members which are on the earth. 
And then it says, this is what you are to kill in you. Immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and greed, which amounts to idolatry. You say, oh man, that sounds like such a hard thing to do. Well, it would be if we didn't have this father that we do. You want to talk about Father's Day? Let's talk about Father's Day. We've got a father who never asks us to give up anything without having that which is a thousand times better for us. Who never asks us to give up anything but what is artificial, that he doesn't have something real. Anything that is temporary, that he doesn't have something permanent. Let me tell you one more story, and then I'll quit. This is a story I used to tell a long time ago, and, and I missed it, but it fits here, so I'll tell it again. When I was a little boy, I remember, I think it was the first time these, these little inventions came out, these little fads, uh, jewelry for little girls called pop beads. Remember those, pop beads? And I remember a story about a little girl in a town, very much like mine, small town, um, who was walking down the street with her mother, and... Uh, they went past the Ben Franklin five and dime. Remember those wooden floors, you know? And uh, she saw this, this display in the window of this new phenomenon, pop beads. 69 cents they were. Oh, she just had to have them. Mommy, I, gotta ha- I, gotta, I just got to have those. And her mama said, well, you know, honey, we're, we're not rich people. We, and, and, and it's time that you learn to earn the money to buy what you want. So the little girl said, okay, I'll, I'll do that, I'll do that. I, and so we ran home. She told her daddy, you know, and, and wanted right away chores around the house to start earning the money. And so they started giving her a list of things that she could do, and she earned a nickel here and a few pennies there, another nickel here. Finally, after several weeks, she had enough to buy the pot beads, 69 cents plus tax. She went down with her mama to the store and walked in that store, bought those pot beads. No sack, thank you very much. I'll wear them. And she walked out of the store so beautiful in her pop beads. Went home to her daddy. Daddy, you notice anything? Oh, he said, you are so gorgeous. What a wonderful necklace. Yes, she said. Well, the next day she went to school. Of course, all the kids absolutely fawned over her. And they all wanted them, you know. Thought they were the most beautiful things in the whole world. So she came back that day even more pumped, absolutely ceiling high. And they went into their evening routine. They had an evening routine or every evening they'd, they'd eat supper together and then, and then she'd run in, take her bath and, 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 and uh, get her jammies on and come out and hop in her daddy's lap. And her daddy was usually sitting in front of the fire reading and, uh, and he'd tell her her stuff. Her, you know, night, night, don't let the bed bugs bite kind of stuff. You know, and then he'd pray with her and kiss her, and she'd go off of bed. Well, that, that night, that's exactly what she did. Went in, took her bath, didn't take the pop beads off, you know, washed underneath the pop beads, and, and got her jammies on, still had her pop beads on, went out, got in her daddy's lap, and he told her all her stuff, said prayers, gave her a kiss. And they said, Honey, do you, do you love me? She said, Well, of course I do. You're my dad. Sure, I love you. And he said, Then, then give me your pop beads. She was absolutely shocked. She didn't know what to say. 
And so she said, boys don't wear pop beads. And she hopped down and ran in her bed. <laughs> Next day, same thing at school, all kinds of compliments, comes home, goes through the same routine, is a little bit more quiet at supper. Takes her bath a little bit longer. Gets her jammies on, comes in with the pop beads, crawls up in her daddy's lap a little bit slower. And he tells her her stuff and says her prayers and gives her a kiss. And then he asks her the question again, do you love me? She looks at him, she says, yeah. He said, well then, give me your pop beads. She looked at him and said, daddy, I just can't. She got down and walked into her bedroom. Next day she got up, went to school, came home. They had supper. She was very quiet. She took her bath, got her jammies on. But tonight she didn't go to her dad. She just went to bed. The next day, the same routine. And again, she didn't go to her dad. She just went to bed. But the third day, she just couldn't stand it any longer. She loved her dad. She missed her dad. So she came home, went through the same routine, crawled up in her daddy's lap. He told her stuff, said her prayers, kissed her. Then he asked the same question, do you love me? She said, yeah. But he took out of his pocket the most beautiful string of real pearls you've ever seen in your life. And he put them around his little girl's neck. And he said, I love you too. We've got this father who does demand that we give up some stuff. But not without having something a hundred times better for us. Pray with me. God, thank you that you help us see what we would miss in our own rationalization, in our own way of trying to maintain some semblance of gratification. God, thank you that you will give us, as we give up that which is not good for us, you will give us that which is good for us and is better for everybody and is more richly and deeply rewarding. God, thank you that you send us the Holy Spirit to give us gifts that can never be taken from us and to build those lives that will never fall. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.